0: Hello, and welcome to The Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark.
1: And I'm Rochelle Moulton.
0: And today we ask the question, should you build a course?
1: Ooh, should you or shouldn't you?
0: Mm. So I know lots of folks who do some form of, let's just call it consulting in general. It's sort of this, they've got deep expertise in some domain, and they apply that on a sort of one- On one basis with customers you know like whatever their services are that they offer they're not what I would call something that's super leveraged it's very much like you do the consulting the clients paying for your smarts but also your attention and your time and and it's not automatic that that sort of an engagement throws off um, sort of reusable materials It can, and there's a lot of what I call sawdust that gets created when you're doing this work for clients that you can turn into things that are info products or worksheets or templates or a book or a course. We've both created video courses, and when we were talking about this pre show, we were talking about I think we're both picturing online video courses, but of course, you could, of course, create in-person workshops and courses and that sort of thing have like used the same materials, perhaps. But I was picturing more of a video type of thing.
1: Well, so was I. I was thinking of something online. But when you mention like an in-person workshop, a lot of people that want to get on the speaker circuit will develop something to run a workshop for a big conference. And it's possible that what you develop for that workshop might have an online application for all or some piece of it.
0: I'm noticing as we're talking through this that I I have a pattern that I follow. It's probably just like me. Uh, Maybe I lack vision. I don't know, but I don't want to spend a lot of time creating something that I don't have some reasonable degree of confidence is going to be worthwhile or useful or that it works. I repeat this pattern over and over where I'll kind of find a way to get paid to create a beta. But it's not like an exact beta. It's more like I find a way to get paid to test the idea. And then as I become more and more sure that this, whatever, this uh, approach is effective, then then and only then will I take the next step to kind of cement it in some form. I've done this with, certainly with books in the past, because that's a lot of work. And I wouldn't want to, and I advise people not to jump out and write a book when they're maybe not sure who the audience is or it's not fully baked and they think they're going to figure it out while they write the book. I'm like, "Er, no, I wouldn't do that. Do more engagements, do in-person sessions and what's going to, not that your book would have been bad, but if you take your ideas on the road, so to speak, and get all of the questions that you never would have imagined and all of that interaction and you collect all that, the book's going to be way better. And it's—I feel it's the same way with a course. Like I, creating a course, a video course, especially, not only is a lot of work up front, but it's really hard to change later. It's like you almost have to redo the whole thing.
1: <laughs> it, it is, but you know, the other piece is what you just described. I think of as the the time tested way to develop consulting anything. I think back in my big firm days, you know, you'd find a client who was intrigued by this idea. And you'd work on it together and they would pay you to do it and you wouldn't charge them everything it took for you to do it, but you'd work on it together and you'd come up really collaboratively with this a different, uh, sometimes it was a different way to describe the problem, but in the end, a different way to resolve the problem. And then you wind up going on the speaking circuit together collaboratively and talking about it. I mean, it's kind of the same thing. It's, it's, I think it's at the core of how you develop consulting expertise over time, and especially as a soloist. I think we probably do it more often than some of the folks do in the big firms because it's part of our day-to-day livelihood. We have to do it to, to thrive.
0: Mm. Should we maybe talk about how you know if you have a course in you? If we were working together and I was like, Rochelle, I want to make a a video course. And like, what would your reaction be? Like, how would you talk me through, talk me off the ledge or or (laughs) convince yourself that it wouldn't be a giant waste of my time?
1: Well, I, I would start with understanding what the big idea is behind it. And I would ask questions around, who's your audience for this? And where are you going to find these people? And that's really the question, not just like, who is this for, which we've talked about a lot on the show, but where are you going to find these people? Do you already have them? Where are they? How do you connect with them? How are you talking with them? Where do they see the things that you're writing? How can you test out some of these things? And so if somebody has an audience of five, my first reaction would be, let's figure out how to find the audience for this idea if you feel that strongly about it or sometimes we'll morph the idea into pieces. You know, you start with this piece, let's test this and see if, if anybody's connecting with it.
0: Great, yes, I agree with that. That's what I would do too. As you were saying that, I was like, oh, I just launched a course, can I answer these questions? Yeah, yeah, I can, okay, yeah, yeah, I can. So I'm, I'm hoping that the dear listener is, had the same reaction, where if you do have an idea for a course, And you know, Rochelle, you just rattled off a bunch of great questions. And I imagine that the listener reacted to that in a particular way like, oh wow, I don't, I can't answer any of those or I only know two of them. Pretty sure I have a big idea because I've, people react to me like I'm smart and that I help them, but I'm not sure how or why or I don't know in their words how they would describe it if they were going to say introduce me to someone else who they thought might be a good fit for me. I kind of go back to this all the time and it might be just my personal bias but I feel like writing a lot is a almost a necessary precursor to this because or speaking but speaking is tough to scale I think writing is a great place to potentially get in front of a lot of eyeballs with a relatively small amount of work and and get some Q&A going to harden your ideas so that you You're like, I know I have a good idea, but I I believe that it's good, but I put it out there and nobody gets it. Well, the solution to that isn't to think harder. The solution is to talk to more people and get questions from them. So you're like, oh, that's why they didn't understand it. They took it to mean something else or 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 I, I, I forgot a key piece that's so obvious to me that it didn't mention this sort of context. So I think writing a lot is a really good way to you know like on blogger an email list something something sort of lightweight that is gives you a way to just road test your ideas and like make sure okay I've got something here and the other thing is you can see immediately what people are really interested in so in a week i write seven emails for my list and there's usually maybe one that gets lots of replies people tell me they like the emails whatever but I don't get a million replies to every single one. Every once in a while I get a clearly touched a nerve because my inbox fills up. It's obvious. Once you've got a few of those, which does imply like you said, do you have an audience? It needs to be more than 5 people. If I was coaching a student, I would say, "Yeah, you're you're probably ready. This this feels this feels solid. I can see that you're getting traction with these ideas." What would you do next?
1: Before we do that, I just wanted a quick little sidebar, which is sometimes people will say, "Well, gee, you know, I only have 50 people that want to hear from me, but you can also glom on to somebody else's platform. You can write things, that you publish outside of your blog, you could write a piece for something that has a much wider distribution than you would have on your own. And yeah, maybe you won't make the Wall Street Journal the first time out. But chances are the Wall Street Journal's not your right place. Anyway, there's probably a pretty targeted publication or digital platform of some kind where you can start to get your ideas out. So that's the other thing. I think sometimes, you know, we talk so much about building your own platform, but there's a lot of good in borrowing other platforms, especially early on when you want to test something out.
0: I suggest people do this thing called, I call it answer bombing. It's like dropping knowledge bombs on people in places where they are asking questions, which is a a lot of times when I'm talking to someone, they're like, I don't know what to write about. You know, they're good at a thing, but they don't know what to write about, or they have really bad writer's block. I say, well, where do your, where does the audience hang out? If you, if you can find a place, whether it's a mailing list or Cora or Twitter, a hashtag on Twitter or some place where the people you think you want to help hang out, just search for question marks, just look everywhere for question marks and say, oh, I can answer this. And then just do a real, almost like a full 500 to a thousand word answer in some sort of blog post or tweet storm, Twitter thread or, or whatever and then before you know it since you were talking to a specific person who asked a specific question you can really get into it and then uh, assuming that there are other people who are having a similar problem it turns into a a really good blog post or email email message or whatever
1: i love uh, linkedin groups for that they're already self selected and people actually read the threads unless they're it's a spammy group but they actually read them i've gotten clients from things i've written in there
0: yep it's like, go where their eyeballs already are. Don't try and drag their eyeballs over to you. It's like way easier. Let's say you believe that you've got some good material. Uh, you've got a clear picture of who the ideal student for this course would be. You know where they live, so to speak. Uh, you can get in front of them somehow and, and you're confident in the material. So what would you you say? Okay, now I've decided to create a course. Jonathan <laughs> and Rochelle gave two thumbs up. It's a good idea what do i do first to actually create it or or just what's the next step it might not be created next there might be another step
1: i don't know if you're going to agree with me on this but i think maybe one of the questions should be is where should i develop this course in other words do you have enough of an audience that you want to develop it for yourself and you promote it on your own website or is there a reason to go on a bigger platform like a skillshare <laughs> or Udemy. I think you want to look at both options. And I don't think there's, you know, a one size fits all. But if, if you've built a certain reputation for something, but maybe you don't have a huge audience, when I say audience, like a digital audience, it might be worth your while to to go on another site and, and follow their instructions and, and develop there. But I think you want to make that decision first on where this thing is going to live, because that will dictate how you put the course together.
0: You were afraid we weren't going to agree, but that's exactly what I would say, too. In either case, whether you're on Udemy or you self-publish, you're going to make money from it. The question to me is, well, is this more of a an awareness play, a marketing play, or is it more of a revenue stream play? The relative level of effort of creating it, so if the course is huge, I would probably say, hmm. And it was something that somebody wanted to just use as a marketing piece. I was like, uh, isn't there like a piece you could shave off that would be super valuable, like the 80-20 rule? Could you shave off like just down to the really core stuff and put it online at a really attractive price, maybe even free? I mean, I know uh, there's a, a guy, in the a very well-known guy in the software world named Wes Boss, who's just an amazing teacher. He makes amazing courses and everybody heard about him from a free javascript course well not everybody obviously but but his his main audience came from this free javascript course that he did it seemed like everybody i knew took it and it was great he was great it was great it was hilarious it was entertaining it was useful it was beneficial so when he came out with a react for beginners course that he you know charged like real money for you could just see he was selling like two three four thousand seats of it in like the first day. But you kind of want to decide that up front. Do you have the runway to put all the time in to create a free course or a course that's really just to raise awareness or just to help people? You know, like I just want to help people with this course and give it away for free. Have you got the financial situation, financial stability to put in a lot of work and get no immediate return from it in a financial way? There's sort of a few factors that if if it were me, I would think about. But certainly, I think either approach works, as long as you can sustain your business while you're you're putting it together. If you need it to pay off more quickly, then yeah, it's a little different.
1: Well, I think the other thing, too, is is you kind of want to track out how you see the course going. And I, I keep going back to your 80-20 comment, because a lot of people that I've worked with, and this is true of books, too. I mean, there's not that much difference in some ways between laying these things out, is that people will say, and I've done this myself, I'm not proud of it, but I've done it, where you say, but I have to have that in it, because they're not going to get it if I don't have that in it. And before you know it, what you think should be a two-week course or a 30-day course, all of a sudden is a 60-day course. And that's a lot harder to sell traditionally than something that's shorter and 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 a bite. So you really want at the very beginning to map out what should be in it, because there will be course creep, quote unquote, right? It's going to happen no matter what.
0: Yes. So when I just created uh, the pricing seminar, you know, I had a list and I said, hey, everybody, I'm thinking about putting together an online seminar. It's like a course, but with like a cohort. So like, it's not just this video thing that you sit in your basement and you watch it by yourself. It starts on a day. All of these people are there. Everybody starts on day one together as a group. It is all videos though. And uh, with this sort of interactive community alongside of it. But I had to go through the same process of like, okay, I need to make all these videos. I need to plan out these 50 videos. And it was very hard to see past the first 10 or so with any significant clarity. But I knew that it was basically going to be the outline of one of my books. Was It's kind of like a seminar around one of my books. So I knew the outline. Like first you're going to do this, then you're going to do that, then we need to do that, and then we need to do this, and then next step, next step, next step, next step. So I made this sort of a brain dump of all the things that needed to be in the course, not in order, but the things that needed to be in it. And it was big. It was It was five categories. I must've had 10 bullet points under each category. And I was like, well, if I roughly create one video per category, maybe I'll combine some, maybe I'll explode some others, but that would be 50 videos. I said, okay, this feels real. This feels like a good approach. And I said to my list, I was like, would anybody be interested in an online seminar? If so, just click on this link and I'll add you to the like early announcement list. And so I got maybe a hundred people or 200 people on that list and i said to them hey this is what i'm thinking of for the outline does anything look weird what are your reactions i just totally asked for help i was thinking about it and i really wanted to cut one of the one of the sections so i put the thing out there i got a response a lot of people were like wow that's overwhelmingly long <laughs> it feels like a lot cuz each video is only like 5 minutes long so it looks like a lot but it's really not hours wise it's not that long and so i sent that out and then i was rethinking it and i was like i should really cut out one of those whole entire blocks. So it's just four areas to your point of like, I was like, uh, I want to make this a little leaner. I don't, I feel like I'm trying to teach them everything I know instead of just what they need to know. And everybody was like, no, leave that in. We definitely, that's like the one we want. <laughs> <I> was like, <laughs> Okay. All right. But the point is like two points really, I didn't just sit around and think harder. I just asked a bunch of people who already expressed interest in the thing. So they're sort of bought into the idea at least I don't want to make it sound transactional, but they're like paying attention to me, paying. They're paying me with their attention to make this better because they're interested. it. so it's like, I'm like, okay, I care about these people's opinions because they're basically they have paid already in a way. I trusted them. So the long and short of it is it's really hard to know what to leave in and what to take out. It's really hard. And if you can't tell and it's sprawling, then try and get some feedback And this goes back to the audience thing. If you can't find anybody who's even interested enough to pay attention to you, it's going to be impossible to sell it.
1: Yes, that's the sign right there. Then it's like, okay, stop. And either the idea isn't quite right, the angle of it isn't quite right, or your audience isn't quite right. And you've got to fix those things before you waste the time trying to go ahead with the course.
0: Yeah, spend 200 hours recording videos.
1: It's kind of like that subject matter expert blindness that we all get sometimes. It's like, well, yeah, but I'm such a geek about my area. Nobody else understands it like I do. So I have to design it this way. And the minute you go down that, you know, you've got those blinders on, that's that's when you're gonna fail.
0: Mm. The antidote to that for me is to when I'm coaching somebody on this, and I try to do it for myself, is to be like just focus on the student so hard. Like not just the student, the student's outcome. What is the least amount I can teach these people to get them to this milestone? Not the other way around. Like, and I don't think people go into it being like, Oh, I'm so smart. I'm going to show off my knowledge, but that's what it can turn into because you don't know where to draw the boundary lines. Cause you know, a lot, you know, a lot, you've got this curse of knowledge. I've done it myself because I've done a lot of speaking engagements and I'll, I'll sort of say you know, something that to me is just so obvious and I can just see the whole crowd go, huh? And I'll, I'll be like, oh, and it's so easy to, to, to detect in a live setting. You're like, oh, sorry, I, I didn't mean to say some three-letter acronym that nobody understood and <laughs> just lose the whole audience, right? So sorry, sorry. That was, you know, that stands for this. And here's why it matters to you guys. Not to me. Here's why you guys should care about it. Here's where you should put it in your, in your head. Like, here's the hook to hang it on in your head. It's like this, but that. I don't think people listening to this care about showing off. But there can be a tendency to just think about the knowledge that you possess and want and just want to communicate it all. When in fact, you probably don't need to communicate a quarter of what you know to actually get the result that you hope for for your students, so just keep focusing on where you want to get them by the end of the course, the change that will that you're trying to manifest, and that will help you edit the material. It, in addition to having some conversations along the way, you know, having road test materials, so on and so forth.
1: Well, the thing that also strikes me is is I've said this before about creating a shared language. So if in your consulting, you've developed a certain words mean certain things, and and it might only be five words, 10 words, 20 words, it's not 100 words. And so as you start to use those words and put them into your courses, that allows you to communicate with one word, something that might wind up being a complicated concept, but that you've simplified. I love that shared language in courses because it helps you To not go into to go down the rabbit hole of everything that you know about a particular thing and just communicate the feeling of that thing.
0: Yep. In the welcome message for the pricing seminar, uh, there's a link to a glossary for the course. That's like, here are some words that we use in a much more specific way in here than you would normally use in the outside world. Here's the specific definition of cost, the specific definition of price, the specific definition of value. Here's what I mean when I say the why conversation. Here's what I mean when I say product ladder. So that we can like communicate more efficiently, more quickly, and have these complex ideas exactly like you said. They're just summed up in one or two words and people just get it. You can take something really complex and once they're once they've just internalized that definition then you can move much more quickly.
1: Yeah. And I think that's part of the magic when you do these courses. It's when I did my consultant brand course the thing I really struggled with is I was trying to replicate the process that I do with clients. But I'm doing the work for the client. I'm seeing the connections. So I'm trying to teach people how to see the connections from their homework. And I struggled with that for a while. And I had to try a few different approaches before I figured out, and I I say that in quotes because, you know, it's a a lifetime process of figuring out how to better teach things. It took a while before I could figure out how to show a process to get there that wasn't in my head.
0: Yep. Yeah, I do the same thing. I'm like, wait a second, how do I do this? Something that's really natural for me, like uh, spidering a conference, that's another thing that I try to teach people how to do. When you go to try to teach, it's like I can show someone me doing it. There's some piece of it that's so intuitive that it's really hard to explain. It's really hard to teach. It's like go like this, but the thing that I, I need to teach that's hard to teach is how to recognize when you see something interesting. If you are consulting and you think you're just going to digitize that process, without the same kind of back and forth or without the same sort of assistance that you would normally provide, and they just have to do everything on their own. So the difference between a done-for-you service and a DIY video course, it's, it's a whole new dimension. It's not gonna be very helpful if, uh, if you just only take it that far.
1: I'm thinking of the 80-20 thing. I used to use that expression in a different way when I worked with highly technical people, usually actuaries or tax accountants, right? And they would know so much about an area. And I would say, listen, in order to sell you in front of a client, I need to know not even 20%, but I usually said 20 because it made them feel better. I really needed to know about 5% of what they knew. <laughs> I need to know 20% of what, you, of what you know and how you do it in order to present you to a client. I don't need to know the other stuff. I don't want to know the other stuff. You're wasting your time and mine by trying to teach me that. And it worked really well with certain kinds of really technical people because they really didn't want to teach me this stuff. They knew I didn't really want to know it. I didn't want to be an actuary. I was happy to introduce them to clients where it made sense, but I didn't want to know how to do it. Same kind of thing here. You have to find that, that 20% and, and make that the essence of the course and not worry about the other stuff because that's why they have you.
0: Right. Exactly. I mean, if they wanted to go to college for it, they could. Exactly. <laughs> right? you know? Exactly.
1: Yeah. You're not creating clones you're creating people who have an outcome that you can influence for the better.
0: Right. They're just trying to get something done. Yeah. They don't know how the sauce is made. They just want lunch.
1: Yeah, we, we don't want to see the sausage.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so now, where are we now? We've got, we've got an audience. We've got an idea. We've validated it. We believe that we've got a curriculum, essentially. Uh, we've got an idea for the materials. Once you once you decide yes this is a good idea yes I found my audience how do you start like what's the first thing that you do like do you mind map it or do an outline? Or do you just like turn on the camera and start going? Oh,
1: no. <laughs> you know me well enough to know I'm not doing a <laughs> camera. I I've gotta there's got to be a spreadsheet, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I'm, I, I don't spreadsheet it, but I do outline it. I mean, for me, writing is always like the first place that I go. So um, I outline it. Um, the last time I did this, what I did was I outlined it. And then I had one to one conversations with Oh, it's probably about 15. I think I I think I probably talked to about 15 people. And all I did was I went through my email list and said, here are people who've interacted with me on this kind of issue. Why not ask them? I sent them the outline ahead of time and said, This is what I'm thinking about doing. You know, we just love your feedback. The more constructive, the better. Part of my goal in doing that was these were also people I wanted to get to know a little bit better. And I thought if they're willing to have that conversation, they're providing value. I think I'm giving them value because we're talking about how to learn the things that they're interested in. I had everything from sign me up. I want to take this to I know people who would benefit from this. This is not for me to a couple people who said "Eh." it was really helpful to have all those different perspectives and then kind of work them into the outline
0: absolutely yep yeah and that's i mean that's basically what i did to the mailing list same sort of thing it's like okay you get your validation from enough people to convince you you get some constructive criticism that you agree with you're like man great catch good one you make the adjustments to the outline what's next do you like let's get super tactical here and like paint a picture for people so like Do you make a slide deck and speak to it like, let's try and paint a picture for two different ways to to do the production, basically.
1: Yeah, because I bet you and I did this differently. Mm -hmm. I would just bet. I feel like it's a giant puzzle. And I I have all the pieces, but I have to figure out exactly where they go. And yes, I have the outline, but it also has to have a thread that goes through from beginning to end. What I tend to do is I will write out, type up what I think needs to go in each video. And I'll, I, I won't start filming until I have all the videos laid out because I have to figure out how they tie to each other because I don't want to spend my time recording something I'm going to throw away. And it goes back to that shared language. I, I started with a list of maybe 10 or 12 terms that I use consistently. And that's the other thing, because for me, if I do it too casually, I may not keep hitting on the same words. And I thought it was important to keep using the same words and to reinforce from one video to the next so that they look and feel connected, like like you would with, with a professor in a course, right? So I went through all of that. And then I also had worksheets that I'd created. And so I would go back and figure out, all right, where do these worksheets go? And how does this worksheet build on the ones that went before? And so once I got the worksheets, the worksheets for me were the most important, believe it or not, because I felt like that's where the person is doing their individual work. So they're applying the things that I'm saying to their own situation. So that felt like the most important thing to me, because that's where they pull out what's unique to them. So I worked on all of those worksheets, I laid out the videos, I had bullet points on the videos, and then once I got to the point where I felt like it made sense, then I brought in um, two other people to take a look at it, and one of them was my husband because he's a producer, and so I figured he's going to be able to see if there's anything that like feels weird. On camera like if there's anything that seems like it might be difficult to translate so let me um, let me jump
0: in real quick yeah. what did you show him was this like a document on your computer did, was it on a piece of paper did you have sticky notes all over the place
1: uh, it was a document on my computer so I just printed it off and let him let him look at it and so he could lay the pages out in different places and move things around if he wanted to again like a puzzle and then once I had that feedback that's when I started filming I did it really cheap. I have to say, uh, I didn't do studio thing. I filmed it on my computer. Remember, I'm not the technical person that you are, Jonathan. So I filmed, I filmed myself talking on my laptop, and then I also uh, interspliced with some audio. I used QuickTime audio and some video where I wanted to show them like the worksheet, or I wanted to show them how to put something together. So, for example, one video I shot was. And it was like I think the longest one was maybe twenty minutes, which sounds insane. It had something like five different cuts. So there was a piece of me on camera. There was something that we were looking at. There was a, we looked at some websites. You know, so so it was a, a mix of those kinds of things. And then once I was sure. That all the videos together, God, I'm getting tired just thinking of this. It was such a long process. Oh my God.
0: Um, it's a lot of work.
1: It is. It is. And so once I had all those videos, and I, I had, I think, 36, I think that's right. I think it's 36 videos. That's when. I had to figure out how to produce them because I certainly wasn't going to edit them. I have a kind of a cheat sheet option, which is my husband has a ton of context. So we got a really wonderful editor to do all the work. It was at a very, very reasonable price. So he did all the editing.
0: And what do you mean when you say editing? Like you're just adding like stuff to the beginning of the end or did you have notes like, oh, like five minutes in? I, I- no,
1: no. We did. We, I, I didn't want to. First of all, I didn't want to pay for that. And second, I, I kind of like the challenge of getting it right. Some I recorded multiple times, of course. But no, what he had to do was I had a front end piece for each one. Like in that one where I had like five different cuts, I would say this file is number one. And then put this card between them. This file is number two. So I gave him, you know, pretty detailed instructions about what I wanted. Unfortunately, he did have some problems with the video because I didn't use a high, high def webcam. So we had a couple problems with that that he was able to solve. And then what he gave me back were completed videos, which I could then put on the platform I'm using now is Thinkific. But so I could put those videos along with the worksheets. And then I also put uh, transcripts because I know when I've taken courses that have longer videos, I I don't always want to spend 20 minutes watching something when I, there's a point that I I remember hearing and that I just want to get to. So I gave transcripts of every video. Um, So there were PDF files underneath each video that had, you know, a transcript. And then there were individual worksheets that related to that particular episode.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We definitely did different we definitely did it differently
1: <laughs> and, and I'm not saying mine was the smarter way either. I'm just saying that's that's how I did it. I saw this as the as sort of the master class on how to create your own consultant brand. Yeah. So what did you do, Jonathan? Let's hear it.
0: <laughs> Before I even dive into it, I, I, I don't think your way's right or my way's right or anybody's ways right. I think doing it the way that you're gonna do it. I talk to people, they have grand plans for how they're going to put this together. It's going to look amazing and professional and and that's great. But it's also an incredibly expensive or uh, labor intensive task, which is fine if you're ready for that. But if it's going to cause you to bail, that's a problem. So there's a certain level of, as with everything, but I think it's magnified with video, is that any whiff of perfectionism can spiral out of control very quickly. Way worse than a book, way worse than uh, whatever things that you're creating, or like audio like this. It's really hard for uh, this to spin out of control. But video is like, woof, woof. So here's what I did. Uh, There's some similarities, but it's very different. And and the reason I I predicated with that comment is that I optimized for ease of recording, because I knew I was going to have to record... A lot of video and I knew that I didn't like doing it. I had tried video in the past and I really hated it compared to audio. It was it was really hard to to edit. You can edit audio like crazy and the edits are not obvious. It is really hard to edit video. If you don't want these quick cuts like you see on YouTube, just like slam cuts, like bang, bang, bang. If you don't want that, and I didn't because that's the wrong vibe. It's just time consuming to get so I can it makes perfect sense to get someone to edit it for you. But I knew I wasn't going to do that because I needed to release the way I had it set up. I was going to be releasing them basically in real time. Like the day I recorded it, I would release it. So oh my did, God. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> but so here's the thing. Like the performance aspect for me is huge, but that's just, I know it's just a personality thing for me. It's not going to work for everybody. But the way I did it was I set up I made sure my office was set up so that. It was like a, a set, like so I could record any time of day or night. I have lights. I didn't go nuts with it, but I just had some lights that that uh, if it wasn't nice out or if it was dark out that I could still record and it would look like natural light coming in through the windows. I, I moved my desk. So it was, you know, so I just set up the, the room so it was I could just turn on the camera and record and I didn't have to worry about it. Another thing I did was I had I'm going to say I had about five or six videos that I knew, topics really, that I knew I had to talk about the first five or so, and then I knew at the end where I wanted to end up. As many times as I tried to map out every single video all the way through, it just disintegrated every time. I, I just disintegrated into this sort of like paralysis of like reshuffling sticky notes, like well maybe this one, well maybe that one, maybe this one. and then I finally threw up my hands and said, I'm just gonna sort of lay track in front of me as I'm going as I would do two or three videos, then i would be like and getting reaction from the group because I had live feedback coming every day. And then I was like, okay, I need to, I need to go a little bit more in this direction for next week and then I'll see what happens. And then a week later I'd be planning out the basically a week in advance that worked really well, but it did happen in one case where and the other thing was, I knew I was shooting for 50 videos, I, I, so I couldn't go on forever about a particular topic. I had to move on at a certain point. And there was one point where I was like, "Man, I need to move on," but this is this feels like it feels like I'm not done here. But I have to move on, or I'm going to end up with 60 videos. And there was one point where I released one video that was it was too big for a lot of people. It was like the to do at the end of it was too big. It was bigger than it was twice as big as some of the others. And so this time around in the the next session, I'm fixing that one piece. But other than that, it was fine. So all of the videos are like the average is six minutes long. And there's like a to do at the end of almost all of them. Some of them are just a thought exercise, but others have most of them have an actual to do. Like when you're done, go do this. Don't spend more than an hour on it. If you spend more than an hour, you're stuck. So go back into the room and ask for help. When I first started, because like I said, I was very uncomfortable with video it would take me to record a six, five minute, six minute video. It would take me four hours. I hated it. It was bad. I was super stiff. I would lose my place. I couldn't look at my notes in a natural way and have it come across. So I was doing like, cause I was doing the editing. So I'd record it and then I'd be like, okay, I, I think I've got a take there. Like, I think, I think I can cut together a, a take and then I'd go in and I'd be Editing video and like cutting back and forth between my slide deck and oh man it was torture and then exporting it would take like a half an hour and then I have to upload it was like the 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 production piece was torture.
1: You you need to outsource that next time, Jonathan. Trust me. Here's what I
0: did. Here's what I did. I I realized pretty quickly that it's way way faster for me to just do another take than it is to edit a bad take. So by the end of it, I could record a five-minute video in five minutes. It took longer to export it than it took to record it, because I would be like, "All right," because I I understood like how you have to prepare and that and that if you flub something in the middle, don't keep going. Here's another little trick that worked for me. Like it just was night and day after I started doing this. I have a, a an outline. It's it's called my new lesson run book, and I've got probably 30 bullet points in it. So I didn't have to think. Again, I've got my room set up so I don't have to think. I've got my list of stuff to do so I don't have to think. And I've got an outline for the next few videos. So I don't have to think about anything when I'm in performance mode. And you just come in and execute. So I'd open up the list and the routine was shut off Dropbox. Do the, you know blah blah blah. Make sure the lights are make sure the door is locked so like the maintenance guy doesn't walk in to replace my water. Da da, da, da all this list of stuff. And then I would press record on the video camera before I was ready to start. And then I'd keep sort of running. I'd look at my notes. And then at some point, I'd be like, oh, I know how to start. That was always like the trickiest part. It's like, what am I going to say first? Because you kind of have to know what the end is going to be to know what to say first. Like today we're going to get to this point. And then I could just look up and start talking. I knew the camera The camera had been rolling for five minutes. For some reason, if I pressed record when I was ready to record, it screwed me up every time. <laughs> it, was like, it was like, uh, deer in the headlights. What am I going to say? So I just, leave the, yeah, I just leave the camera rolling. And when I'm ready, I just go for it. And if I screw up, I would I would look down so that later I could see in the video, like every time I looked down, it meant throw away everything before that. If I could see the top of my head, cut it. So at the end, all I would have to do is cut off the beginning screw ups and trim off a teeny bit of the end and that was it and then it was like a consistent video i didn't have to type anything up and it ended up going really smoothly by the end but it took me at least 20 videos before i got to that point but now i'm not scared of it anymore i don't hate it anymore i started a youtube channel like i was like oh this is fun now
1: it is <laughs> Fun. I just think if you imagine who's on the other end, it's fun. Otherwise, it feels like it feels a little narcissistic, you know? It's like, oh, hello, here I am. Listen (laughs) to me, right? But when you start imagining who's on the other end, I think I think it really helps. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I liked about the approach that you described, though, I kept picturing it as a river. You have this this feedback coming in from people every day, and they're telling you what they get and what they don't get. And if you can allow yourself, which you did, I mean, to the listener, if you can allow yourself to listen to it and react to it proactively, I I mean, I love the idea of creating the videos as you get that feedback. I mean, you need a few in the bag to start with. I mean, you are the teacher. You've got to have a direction. But then you can adjust. And I'd rather see that than somebody recording 50 videos and then going, oops, everything after number six, I have to throw away and start over.
0: Oh, you have no idea. I, I have so many students that have video courses about tech stuff. I have this one student who recorded just scores, scores of videos. He's just about to release the thing and the underlying technology that he was talking about released a new version. And he, oh, no. So all the screenshots were wrong. Like every oh. screen that he showed had oh. this one thing that he had to go back and change. and It was like.
1: That's torture. <sighs> that poor guy. He, oh, oh, yeah. Oh.
0: torture. Anybody who's done tech stuff, tech screencasts, they've, they've suffered from this, but there's certain things that you learn you shouldn't do. Like for example, don't refer to the previous video because you might change the order. I would never say like yesterday we talked about blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then next time we're going to talk about whatever, because later you can't reorder the videos. Right. Uh, And I I made a bunch of I made a bunch of those mistakes in the first few videos of the pricing seminar just casually mentioning something like um, Like the day of the week it was and like, you're like, happy Friday. Today's lesson is going to be and like, but the second time around, it's not going to be on Friday. <laughs> so yeah. So, man.
1: Yeah. Well, you can do that in the if, if you're recording a session where you're answering questions and things, you know, you could do that. But yeah, you want those videos to be evergreen as much as you can. and And you need to be able to switch the order and you might use it for something else. Right? I mean, they might wind up using a third of video seven for something you do on your YouTube channel or for a piece that you do on somebody else's platform.
0: Right. Yeah, 100%. Well, I don't know if we're getting too much into the production thing. It's probably, that's probably enough. We've just but- turned everybody
1: off from doing this <laughs> who's listening. <laughs> I hope there's still some people with us.
0: I do think I do think our two approaches represent the bulk of how people do it, because I I know a lot of people who do video courses and it's and all of them do one or the other or they regret the thing that they did do and wish they'd done one or the other. So it's for me, I think the two main main approaches are live takes, just live take and, you know, just do it five times until you nail it, because the editing is going to be nightmare or. Do what you did, where it's very planned out in advance, and you have someone editing it for you. And certainly, there's some mix and match that could happen in there. But um, what I'm saying is, editing is a lot of work. So either hire someone to do it, or don't require a lot of editing.
1: Well, yeah, and I think the other thing is that if you're at all a person who gets into detail, you may decide you really love doing the editing. And that may not be the best the highest best use of your time. If you really want to create a course Maybe you don't want to spend the time editing it but delivering the content
0: Yeah, and i've talked people down from that ledge multiple times people who are like Creating very high-end professional videos really nice like stuff. They're paying getting paid a lot of money for but we're spending days per week editing a five-minute video But the the end product was just gorgeous, but they just didn't believe that there's somebody out there who could do as good a job, who would care as much. And turns out there are plenty of people who can do as good a job and, and care as much. And these folks who I've sort of like, just try it, just try it, just try it. You know, the thought is like, well, it'll take me longer to tell them how I want it than to just do it myself. No, it's, that's the illusion. I've done it myself, you know, with this podcast, we don't edit this podcast. It's like, letting somebody watch your baby. It's like, oh, please don't mess it up. And, but they don't, they're professionals.
1: Say Not for me. I'm happy to hand it off. I do not lose any sleep over it.
0: Right. Well, we're talking to the people who want to control every aspect and it's just not a, it's just not a good use of your time. You could be out helping people and there are tons of people who would absolutely love to do this for you. Tons and they're qualified. So just let them do it.
1: And and also there's a thing that's happened that I think is really interesting because as more and more regular people, quote unquote, can create video because we've got the technology to do it, the production value has gone down on a lot of things that you see online. And the interesting thing is people trust some of those low production value videos more than something that's really slickly produced. Again, I think it goes strategically, you want to align it with your brand, if you're out doing amazingly slick consulting assignments, then probably your videos should look amazingly slick. But but most of us know it's about being authentic and aligning the way you present and the material you present and how you present it with your brand, with what you're known for. And then it all feels aligned and real and trustworthy.
0: Yep, I've actually asked people about this and I've gotten some answers back that I feel true to me, which are, I mean, they're obviously they're true from the person's opinion, but in general, I think that that sort of casual, you know, YouTube handheld selfie video works great in lots of places like YouTube. And and exactly like you said, it's very authentic. You feel more connected with the person. You feel like when it's over, you felt like you hung out with them or that they were talking to you. But I have gotten pushback from people who expect at least a little bit more professional, a little bit higher quality inside of a course they're paying for. They do, In general, people would be a little disappointed if it was just you talking to your hand, you know, walking around the park in a class they're paying hundreds of dollars for. I think one last point that's come up about this very recently is that even with what well, with video, it's more important to get the audio quality good than it is to get the video quality good uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that if my students are any indication, most of them don't even watch the video. They listen to it. I have people who are sharing scripts in the Slack room for how to download all my videos and automatically rip them to audio and, <laughs> and send them to their <laughs> podcast player that are like, I'm like, wow, I, I went to all that trouble. And you're just like,
1: you just I listen it to my the hair audio. And combed it and everything. Exactly.
0: And you're listening to it double speed, not even watching it. Great. <laughs> but everybody's different. Um, A lot of people have asked for transcripts. Like you pointed out, Uh, a lot of people asked for a video player that they could double speed, which is like a knife in my heart, but okay, that's fine. If, if you can listen that fast to something great, don't ask me questions later about stuff you missed, or I will (laughs) maybe go back and listen to it at normal speed. But people want, people definitely have um, different learning modes. And if you're putting together a course and your, your desired outcome is to get them to a particular milestone, giving them the option to watch or listen at their own speed and including a transcript, those are all, I think that's all really good, a really good use of time to put that together. I think it'll be more effective for more people if you do all, all of those things. I didn't do transcripts for TPS, but enough people have asked that I'm probably going to do that.
1: It's sort of a pain, but as a student, I've always appreciated transcripts. There's just something, well, there's a course I took, and it was expensive. I mean, it it was, I think it was $3,000 or $2,800, something like that. And the guy teaching it, it sort of annoyed me. He always showed up in a messy, wrinkled t-shirt and a pair of jeans at a whiteboard. Part of his brand was, you know, I live in the mountains and I can do whatever I want. I found it really offensive after a while. I was like, I really don't want to listen to him. He had valuable information. I paid for the course for a reason. And, and it wasn't it wasn't something I didn't expect, given the way he appeared. But I found myself uh, reading the transcripts. And I could skip over the stuff that, you know, seemed kind of silly and really focus on the nuggets that I wanted and not have his voice in my head.
0: Mm. Yeah. The other thing about the transcript is like after 50 videos, people are like, wait a minute, which video had this in it? Because they want to go back and they can't find it. And I'm like, oh, man. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good reason.
1: Yeah. Well, and I've had people tell me uh, I met somebody new who who binge listened to this podcast and she said she played it at double and triple speed. Yeah. (laughs) I thought, well, that's you know, that's one way to, to get your time, you know, make your time efficient. But it, it helped her. It, she said, you know, I'm in a hurry. I want to hear it. I want to get to the stuff I want. I thought, good for you. You know, use it the way you want to use it.
0: I hear that a lot. It kills me. But <laughs> as someone who painstakingly has in the past edited audio for like timing and spacing and all that stuff, and then people just run roughshod over it, you know, it's like you ever see that that clip of David Lynch ranting about people watching his videos on a, his movies on a phone?
1: No, he, Oh,
0: he just goes. It's great. And that's how I feel. It's how I feel. But even though I laughed at that video, because it's funny, he's just so like, get off my lawn. I feel the exact same way when I find out people are doing stuff like that. And I'm like, uh, you just got to accommodate them because it's because people are just so different. They've got a different situation. And if they need to listen to stuff at 3x, then great. I really don't. I, I shouldn't care. I, I can't quite say that I don't care. but But people do it. And if it helps them, then I'm all for it.
1: I don't know that I care because I do that. I, I learn the way that works best for me from other people. So I kind of figure they should do the same with me. I mean, I have people on my mailing list who read every other post so, if they don't want to read the other one, I don't care. They're reading the ones that matter to them. You know, that's what matters. And if they don't read one in a year, they need to be off the list because something's gone awry. But it's, I think, especially because we're talking about authorities, right? It's that we want our audiences to take the information in the way that works for them best. Now, that doesn't mean they have to be your client, it doesn't mean they have to buy your stuff. Uh, They might not be the right client or buyer for you if your formats aren't working for them. But generally speaking, use it the way that it works for you. And this from a control freak.
0: (laughs) Yeah. What would be the last thing? Because this is turning into a pretty long episode. It is. What can we wrap on in terms of I guess launch is really the last thing. I mean, you basically just have to host the video somewhere. You know, if you're non-technical or whatever, there are plenty of platforms where you can do it they have all different rules like Udemy and teachable and, um, what was one you mentioned?
1: Thinkific. Yeah. It's a lot like teachable.
0: So there are platforms that make it really easy, but there are other ones that you could really, really roll your own. I mean, I just hosted mine on, on AWS <laughs> that keeps coming up today. <laughs> I think that that decision goes back to some really pragmatic stuff about like how capable are you of doing it yourself versus using a platform and what's your goal? Are you, do you not want to set up your own payment situation do you not want to set up your own hosting situation do you want to just make it super easy for you to publish it and it's mostly for marketing anyway and maybe you'll make some money off it that would be nice too and then maybe you to me or one of these others is is just fine but certainly there's no reason why you I think have to do that I don't I don't think um, I mean I self-hosted uh, the pricing seminar and it was. It's been fine, but I'm technical, so I knew how to do it. I don't think there's a right way.
1: Well, yeah, but I also just want to put a caution for non-technical people. Uh, Things like Thinkific, I'm sorry, Thinkific, but it is not intuitive if you're not technical. So I have had to hire people to help me create custom code to get what I wanted on there. Look at all the options and really dig in. Jonathan, I was thinking we did a, a launch episode on the business of authority. We should put a link to that underneath this show. So if somebody wants to read some more about that, where what we did was we actually walked through Jonathan's uh, most recent launch of the pricing seminar. And I think there's a lot of nuggets in there for launch that might be helpful if somebody's thinking about that.
0: Cool. Yeah, I actually just relaunched it. It was it was the most recent at the time. Yes. And it was your the fir- very, it was your very, first. very
1: first. Yeah, your beta. Yep. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So relaunching now. Unfortunately it'll be closed by the time you hear this, dear listener. But um There'll yeah, be another one. <laughs> yes, there will be for sure. If we missed something, then you can find us very easily on Twitter and ask any follow-up questions. That would be great. Yeah, if you go to the uh, website for the show, the com, there is a link to both of us at the bottom of the page, both of our Twitter accounts. We would love to answer questions.
1: Absolutely. Give us some ideas for some more episodes.
0: That too. All right. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark.
1: And I'm Michelle Moulton.
0: And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye.
1: Bye Bye-bye.